welcome to the pod, Bill Connolly. Uh, good to have you here virtually. We've met a couple of times before, a couple of Sloans ago. We were hanging out a bit. Neither one of us went this last Sloan, though. So uh, did you regret the experience of not being there? <laughs> well, it's always, I mean, I never, the conference is fine. Um, there are occasionally, there are at least a few memorable panels and whatnot at, at a given conference, but I miss the, you know, the bars outside the conference, uh, on, on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, that that's when you, I mean, that's just when it becomes kind of a melting pot and, and it's a lot of fun. So, uh, that part, I absolutely missed the conference. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I told you that I was invited to the, uh, the Jeff Ma dinner this year. For those who don't know <laughs> Jeff Ma. Uh, host of Bet the Process podcast, uh, a book and a movie, Bringing Down the House, I think it was a book written about him as part of the MIT Blackjack team and then a movie, 21. Although I found out because you were invited the prior year, and we're talking about like Nate Silver types are right. there, uh, some other you know GMs and, and some big names. Uh, I thought that I had made it. I thought that I had, had gotten there. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't make it to the conference, but I also found out afterwards. I think he was just like throwing out invites left and right. I think this was some, this is like a B, the B team was being allowed in, if not the C or the D team. So I still haven't made it to the A team. Maybe next year I can make it there. Well, and I, I, I was just kind of a, a tag along, so I can't really say I was part of the A team either, but I'll claim it. I mean, it's fine. You were like when, um, actually, I don't want to be too insulting. You're like when Andy Dalton makes multiple Pro Bowls because everyone's injured and they just can't, <laughs> they can't go eventually. Still and then you look it up and you're like three-time Pro Bowler Andy Dalton. And you're thinking, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, and it happened and it, it will always be on his resume. So, you know, it doesn't matter how you get there. All right. Well, Bill, I want to talk to you uh, wrapping up, obviously, the, the college and NFL seasons. We're, we're through that. We're through the draft. Um, you have a piece that just came out, which I think we could work through that when you're ranking the top 75 college quarterbacks of the 2000s, which has been called alternatively a clickbait. Uh, you're getting you're throwing out the clickbait. Here, I would although... love people to click on my pieces. So. No, that's kind of weird you're like uh or what was it um subscribe bait you have a lot of stuff going on it's, it's kind of like the point i think of doing of the business but um so you see so you got some people riled up with this one i think we could talk about that generally like what your methodology was for this um some of the top names on here who obviously a lot of them are had substantial careers in the nfl or still currently in, in the nfl and of course you're updating this as a prior thing that you've done because you're adding in the 2023 quarterback class so we can talk about them uh, before getting to some of your other research and then you know some soccer talk on the end for anyone who's still who's still, still tuning in at that point sound good absolutely all right let's get into it so the top 75 quarterbacks of the thousands so we're going through 2000 until now and we're looking at their careers right so why don't you just give me a little you know, elevator pitch here style version of what the methodology is on here. How much is art? How much is science? How much <laughs> is vibes that are going into these guys? Yeah, I mean, this list was four lists. Um, I, I realized very quickly, like, how do you compare a guy with 15,000 career passing yards to a guy who had one great year uh, and ended up with like 3,000 or 4,000 or whatever? Um, and so really what I ended up doing two years ago when this first came out and, and then kind of tried to follow the same methodology this time was um, create a list of all the best one-year wonders, all the best two-year stars, all the best three-year guys, and then the four, I guess, four plus now, uh, since you can have more than four. 
Um, but and you can kind of see with the top of that list how who who ranked with each. Like Cam Newton was the best one year wonder, followed by Kyler Murray, and uh, Vince Young was probably the best two year guy. He st- he kind of played his fr- redshirt freshman year, but he didn't, he, he hadn't completely won the job over. So he was really kind of a two-year guy. Joe Burrow was a two-year guy, basically. Tim Tebow was basically three. So you can kind of see who the the top of each of those lists were, but then like mashing them together at the end was impossible. And, um, you know, I, I, I think in the end, we, there were five guys who could have been number one. Um, I probably picked the guy who the fewest people would pick as number one because I'm just kind of naturally antisocial, I guess. But um, if you chose any of Baker Mayfield, Cam Newton, Vince Young, Tim Tebow, Jim, Joe Burrow, there's it's extremely justifiable. After that, probably not. But there are five guys who easily could have been number one. And if you think one of the others should have been, I'm not going to really disagree with you. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's interesting about the one-year thing is for football outsiders, they have this Q-base mm. Uh, projection methodology, which was initially developed by Andrew Healy, who works for the Browns now. And one of the biggest factors for looking at NFL success is just purely the number of years that someone was a starter. I think they've updated it now and you have to meet certain thresholds as a starter. Maybe it's like 60% completion percentage or something like that. You, You could discount some of that away. And what it did, it was it identified guys when we're looking in the past, you always have to think about like overfitting past results versus applying to future results guys like you know philip rivers was a long-time starter russell wilson was a long-time starter even though he wasn't necessarily that great before he transferred and guys like that who you pick out as having these long lengthy careers now do you think there's something structurally different about college football that makes more of these one-year guys coming out when we talk about murray when we talk about burrow essentially being a one-year type of guy we talk about richardson this year being a one-year type of guy that are getting drafted very high or is this just something where i'm not really you know i'm not as much of a college football guy and expert so maybe there has always been a lot of one-year type of wonders in the past do you think it's it's increasing now teams becoming more comfortable with it or top prospects fitting that mold more than they would have in the past. Well, I think moving forward, we could have more of these cases just from guys transferring from bad situations and then landing at a different school and starting for one year and and trying to ride that momentum out of the, out of college. I, I mean, it's always been important. Why were you a one-year wonder? Were you a guy who stunk for two years and then figured it out? Or were you Cam Newton backing up Tim Tebow and then getting booted out of school and having to go to Juco for a year? He was always going to be awesome and under a different under different circumstances, he would have been a two or three year starter. So, you know, him being a quote unquote one year wonder versus a um, trying to think of another good example. I almost said Blaine Gabbard. He, he, he was kind of, he was backing up Chase Daniel when he first got there too. So he wouldn't have had a chance regardless, but um, you know, the, the, the the meaning, the reasons behind why you were just a one year guy kind of matter a lot. And they always have, it's just, you know, you know, a decade ago, when we were coming up with things like Cubase and all this other stuff, it, we, you know, the data was limited. We were trying to figure out what we could do with what we had. So I, I think um, that was probably part of the reason why that was used from the start. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, for instance, you know, once you've satisfied the eligibility requirements as far as, uh, I guess it's three years after high school, basically, is the eligibility right. requirement. You know, you have a great year. Someone's willing to take you early. Hell, you might as well just get out of town because I always think it's, it's very flawed thinking if anyone says, 
oh, I could be a top 10 pick, but if I stay in for another year, I could be the number one pick. It's like, it's more likely that right. you're going to fall out probably of the top 10 than move up even further. Yeah. And I mean, in Anthony Richardson's case, he didn't even need the great year. It was just that people were yeah. willing to take him. Um, no, it's, it's one of those things where you got to jump when you can, even though, you know, it, it, if in terms of succeeding at the pro level, maybe more experience, it w- would be a good thing for you. You never know what kind of situation you're going to end up in with uh, in the pros. But when the opportunity presents itself, you kind of need to do it. Uh, if you're, I mean, if you're a third day pick, come back. Um, but if you're a top 10 pick, then just you, it does seem to be the consensus now that you just go when you're when you know you're a top tenner. Yep, exactly. I mean, yeah, the, the Andrew Luck type of situation where you can stay an extra year and know, you know, barring uh, catastrophic injury that you'll be the number one right. pick is definitely not going to be the situation for most. Okay, so you hinted at this before that your uh, unpopular take now probably colored <laughs> somewhat by by NFL career so far, which is right. weird because it would have either been like well by NFL career very early or now poorly is to have Baker Mayfield at the top here and then Cam Newton at second. So now we really are talking about the contrast between career versus single season, although both Heisman Trophy winners, uh, though Mayfield does not have a championship, how much does that go into it? Because obviously, you know, everything is rings all the time about whoever we're talking about here. Yeah. How much did that, did that play into your methodology at all? And is that one of the most common complaints that you'll get for someone is if they don't have a championship to their name, despite a long career? Yeah, I think, I mean, when I started this exercise, I kind of knew who the top names were going to be. I had no idea what the order was going to be. And and I probably surprised myself putting in uh, Mayfield number one. I think in the end, it was just kind of, you look at his stat line from college and kind of laugh out loud about it. You know, the, the accomplishments were there, you know, played in the playoff, almost beat, like that 27 Georgia Oklahoma or 2017 Oklahoma Georgia game was one of the best might still be the best playoff game of the playoff era. Um, and, and so like that close to the national title game where you'd had a fighting chance at a flawed Alabama team. Um, but he won a ton of games. He won the Heisman and then also, Oh yeah. Threw for 14,607 yards and 131 touchdowns plus 21 rushing touchdowns as well. Um, those are crazy numbers. And um, so he kind of ended up checking most boxes. If I couldn't decide between Burrow and Newton and, and young and all, all those guys were at some point, well, not Newton, but, but young and, and uh, Burrow were both heading into their breakout year. Not people weren't saying amazing things about him, but Vince young had basically had about six good games or six or six to eight good games the season before, but he also got benched for throwing too many picks during one game uh, as a sophomore in 04. Joe Burrow, <laughs> I mean, halfway through his 2018 season, nobody was talking about Joe Burrow. I remember writing a piece heading into 2019 about potential breakout stars, basically. And, and Burrow was on my list because he had, he had basically four good games at the end of the year. And I, I was thinking, yeah, you know, maybe that means something. And, I, and, and you know, people were scoffing at that because he stunk. He's Joe Burrow. Uh, and then, you know, Four months later, he's the greatest college quarterback of all time to some. So they had kind of the 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 waffling periods before they made it. And Mayfield was just awesome from the start. He got better at OU, which tends to happen when you play for Lincoln Riley. 
but he was really, really good for basically three, three and a half years of his career and put up stats that are just absolutely ridiculous considering he was playing in a ton of big games. So in the end, that's, I'm, I mean, I can justify it. I just know people are never going to, if it was a list of, of upside guys, then Newton would have been probably number one, maybe Younger Burrow. Mayfield would have been top 10, but not number one. It was just, you know, you're, you're, you're comparing guys you can't really compare, and that's just the choice I made. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting looking back on how the evolution of going through the 2017, I guess, season and the impressions on guys. I mean, it was we knew Darnold was seen as being potentially the number one pick. Allen had a rough uh, redshirt sophomore season. Or was it redshirt junior season? I think it was redshirt Yeah, his second season. year was worse than his first, yeah. So he, he had a little bit of a problem there. Um, where he, if he, I think if he had a solid year, he definitely could have been the number one pick. You had Rosen in there. You had Jackson, who you know may have not been seen on the same level as those, but obviously the Heisman and everything else that he that, that he had, had there. Um, but the interesting thing about Mayfield is that I'm not sure if he was even considered a first round pick going into the season. Maybe fringe first round pick going into the season. Obviously, ends up number one. I don't think it was just the Browns who were in on him because. There's at least some reports that maybe the Jets trading up to three thought they were going to get Mayfield because Darnold was going to go, but you know, potentially number one. Uh, you know, there's rumors about the Patriots thinking about trading up from this and that. But what's interesting for me about that, at least seeing the cycle of his perception is, and you mentioned it, looking at his junior year, I mean, the stats are off the chart in, the, yeah. in his junior year. So it's not like he had this breakout season, which then pushed him way up, and then people watched him, and then people got the scouting behind him. I'm just wondering, why why was there this disconnect with Mayfield after that season, him not being a guy who could have left after that season and been a top pick if he could basically replicate what he did the year before, get a little bit better, and then be the number one pick overall? Yeah, I've I've always kind of wondered, you know, the Browns were known as kind of analytics friendly um, and, and maybe, you know, coming out exactly when he did, uh, you know, it, it was a period where people were willing to kind of change how they look at the quarterback position. Obviously, the Bills weren't, um, but some were. And, you know, maybe it was it was more about efficiency and, and steady production as opposed to upside and everything. That 2018 class, I mean, that, that it has ended up being kind of the most perfect example we're ever going to get in terms of floor versus ceiling and nature versus nurture and uh you know everything else considering the drastically different fates that those guys have had um and and i mean i still think josh allen needed to land with the bills and the bills needed to do pretty make pretty much the next 46 decisions they made after drafting him were all perfect um, and then they also didn't panic when he stunk after two years and they, he needed all of those things to come together because he still wasn't very good his second year in the league. And I think, uh, you know, what we've seen pl- from plenty of teams, some would have panicked or brought in a different, another guy or whatever. And Bill's just said, no, he's our, he's our guy and we're, we're going to make our line better and our receiving core better and everything else. And it's going to click eventually. And it all did. Um, and then, you know, Sam Darnold n- d- didn't get that support at all. And Josh Rosen never had a chance anyway, but Lamar Jackson ended up with a really good situation as well and a different situation he might not have clicked. So it, that was just a perfect, you could write books about that that draft class and all the different trajectories that have come from it. And and yeah, I, I think just 
it, it wasn't necessarily that the opinions were different about Baker Mayfield after his senior year, which he didn't even get better his senior year. Um, it was just that it happened to be the Browns. It happened to be another year of people talking about efficiency and analytics and all these other things. And maybe that helped him a little. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I always think about the Browns that um, I've had some discussions with some people there who were in their front office saying that like the for lack of a better word, like kind of like the saucy Brown contingent who was there before that right. draft was into Baker Mayfield a lot. But at the same point in time, uh, when John Dorsey came in to be GM and I think he had Scott McLuhan, who was like his, his like a consulting, those guys were really into Baker Mayfield too, uh, from a football guy's just sort of, sort of perspective. So it's an interesting thing there. Um, one of the things with, with Allen and this probably goes into like how a lot of these quarterbacks are going to see this year, the rookies when they will start is, you know, QB wins do matter, right? They got wins as, as a Buffalo bills team with Josh Allen, they made the playoffs with Josh Allen in his second year where he was improved, but he wasn't good. And that definitely helps you, you know, the, the team continuing to have faith in someone like the same performance, with a winning record, it just feels a lot better, <laughs> no, yeah. no matter whether it's literally the same exact performance from the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it, it also kind of reflects how much pressure your GM's under, um, you know, when you win, whether – because, I mean, it was pretty obvious that – I mean, I remember that that playoff game Allen played. He was a, a, a loose cannon to the nth degree. Um, he, oh, yeah, was, yeah. The uh, The – what was it? It was like this this pass to the fullback into double coverage down the down the sideline. That was one of my favorite throws of all time. Yeah. And scrambling when he didn't need to and and trying to truck people downfield when he didn't need to. And it was all kind of the worst aspects of his uh game at that point. And it cost them pretty significantly. And then the next year, it, you know, it, the explosion happened and they started throwing more on first down than anybody and t- and kind of kind of taking the game out of his hands and putting it into his hands at the same time. I don't know how to describe it, but just giving him the easiest possible situation. And, and obviously he ran with it and, and he, he's a different dude now, but no, it, it really, I think you're right. I think, you know, the wins matter, but it really might just depend on that. That might help define the fact that the GM can feel comfortable with his job uh, in, in making future decisions and maybe have a little more faith in, in, in his quarterback, I guess. Definitely makes sense. Okay, so we talked about Newton being second here, and now we're talking about more of like the first year sort of thing. What's interesting about even with Newton and Josh Allen, I remember I used to get offended by the fact that people would compare Josh Allen to Cam Newton. And like, I remember just like screenshotting their Wikipedia page of accomplishments. <laughs> right. It was, you know, Cam Newton had all these, this long list of college and other accomplishments. And then Josh Allen was like um, MVP of the the Tater Tot Bowl or something like that, and that was basically it. Um, but now we flipped around it, so now nobody knows anything. It goes back to it. But, but where do you, where do we rank this Newton season as far as like just the best all time seasons from a quarterback? Uh, well, I think um, I, I'm trying to remember. This was a couple of years ago, I guess, when when LSU and Auburn played. I basically compared Cam's 2010 to Burrow's 2019. Because, I mean, that that really, you know, those two seasons were about as good as you're ever going to see. I, you know, from a raw stat standpoint, maybe some others can compete. But, I mean, even Burrow's raw stats in 2019 were crazy. He had he had 15 games. I guess that helps. But, um, no, I, to me, I think those are those are the two. You know, Vince Young in, 20, in, in 2005, 
obviously gets pretty high up there. Tim Tebow's best year, well, really, I guess Tebow's best year was probably 07 when when they lost like four games. But you know, they all produced gaudy stats. But I think those two stand out. I think it, it was Newton versus Burrow for me. Um, and, and again, like maybe that's that maybe that's the case for they should have been the top two on this list um, instead of the the steady and extremely impressive four year guys instead. Um, but no, th- those are probably the two best for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested in Young also from the perspective of like what maybe he could have been today in the NFL a little bit more. I think Young, I think you're right to have Newton above Young, but Young had, as someone who fall, who lived in Southern California and kind of followed USC at that point in time, <laughs> what he did to USC, that team with Leinert and Bush and, you know, everyone else that they had there was incredible, right? There, there's no, there's no more kind of like an imprint on your brain than watching him just be unstoppable at the end of that yeah. game and just glide into the end zone and just kind of look like he made it look like he was playing against USC. Of course, not in the USC was that great defensively, but he just made it look like he was playing one of these games where he's a really good, you know, high school quarterback who could just run in when he feels like it past the defense, whenever he can. Uh, what do you think about him as far as the NFL is concerned, how his career ended up? There might have been some off the field stuff going on with him too. Uh, like, how do you think about that? If there's like a young type of prospect today, do you think it would be different? Yeah, I mean, I think his best year in the pros um, was really good. Uh, yeah, what was it? I just pulled up. So, so well, I mean, he wins offensive rookie of the year as a as a rookie um, and goes eight and five and throws for you know twenty two hundred yards and whatnot. But his uh, 09 season, he went eight and two as a starter. Um, but you know, still wasn't throwing the ball just a ton, only threw for 1900 yards, uh, and obviously rushed for a, a decent amount. But I, I do, I think he had potential then. I do think the the off the field issues probably, um, you know, spending too much of Cheesecake Factory and whatnot. It seems like the influences there might might have held him back a little bit because he was showing quite a ceiling. And, and you're right, I mean, if he comes out today, the, you know, in the 2020s, where it feels like there are far fewer offensive coordinators just trying to cram a college quarterback into their system. Uh, and, 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 you know, you see a lot more examples of systems being built around specific talents. Uh, he had, it, it, it was ridiculous. And you're right. I mean, in 05, you know, as a guy living in big 12 country, and magically now I live in SEC country without moving uh, here in Missouri. But as, as a guy who saw basically every game he played in 05, it really was. I don't think you've ever we've ever seen a, a an example of the game slowing down for a guy more than it slowed down for Vince Young in 05. And in in 04, you know, uh, you know, I'm a Missouri guy. I watched Missouri, Texas, and and Young got benched for throwing picks. Like he was too slow to process the things that were going on, and 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 it just wasn't making sense. And then in 05, everything slows down, and he knows exactly like once the defensive end has committed to this degree, I can just sidestep and trot for 30 yards down the right sideline, and all these things that he did all year, and then did to USC as well that nobody could stop because he had just figured everything out. It was really fun to watch and i do wish it had turned out better for him um you know the, if it was a personal thing then then maybe it doesn't work out any better in the 2020s but i do think the offenses would have suited him beautifully now yeah yeah i mean it's interesting also looking at him 
Um, I'm just kind of looking at the rookie year stuff here. Eh, I don't know. He, was, he wasn't that great. As a, I mean, got 50, 51% completion percentage as a rookie. That's that's something there. But it looks like, it looks like they had wins. This is a good QB win situation. Your four exactly. fourth quarter comebacks, uh, five game winning drives. They end up going eight and five when he's a quarterback. So he got a good little little QB wins sort yeah. of bump there. Um, okay, I don't think we need to. We don't need to talk Tebow. Um, <laughs> you know, do you talk some of these, some of these, some of these other guys there? But maybe let's let's transition a little bit to the twenty three class, where you have those guys ranked here. Um, I mean, I can just say you have Young at nineteen, Stroud at twenty. You kind of. I love I love when you make these lists because you just kind of have two guys that you're like, oh, they're about the same. I lean one over the other. And it's almost impossible to extricate them from each other uh, because they're like built into your mind, part of the same draft class, everything like that. Um, and they're at 19 and 20 here. Yeah, it kind of cracked me up. I didn't realize until I was doing this that their career stats, um, you know, Young had 8,300 yards, 80 touchdowns. Um, Stroud had 8,100 yards, 85 touchdowns. Um, you know, obviously a lot more went into to making this list than just those raw career stats, but they really did. I mean, they both had two years in in easy jobs, it must be said. Uh, Young's job got a lot harder his second year when when his offensive line got a lot more porous and his receiving core got like completely flipped. Um, and And so I think... He showed so. I mean, it's funny. He won the Heisman in 2021, and he showed me way more in 2022, just in terms of adaptability um, and his uh, escapability and all all those different things. Um, I so in, in the end, I put yeah, he won. Uh, you know, he made the the final of the playoff, and Young only uh, Stroud only made a semi. Although Stroud was so good against Georgia in the semis, um, you know, he won the Heisman, and Stroud came, only came close. All those other things. I ended up putting Young ahead of Stroud. What's funny is. Um, Ohio State fans got mad at this, not because Young's ahead of Stroud, but because Stroud was ahead of Justin Fields. Um, which I don't know what's going to feel. People love Justin Fields, which reminds me. I love I love Justin Fields. I had him really high. I just um, Stroud was really really good. I think it, maybe it made a difference that he pretty much aced total QPR because I did you know look at that win possible just to see if I was missing things. Um, and and Stroud was pretty much perfect, but. No, I, I he's a I think he's a less interesting Stroud's a less interesting pro prospect than Fields was just because Fields was pretty different, um, and and I feel like Stroud's a little more of a efficiency pocket passer accuracy guy that that could succeed in the right situation, but maybe isn't as unique as Fields was. Whatever, I just really like Stroud, so I put him slightly higher than Fields. Well, what are you talking about this unique versus succeed sort of thing? I think it also comes down when people's reaction and perception of the list aligns somewhat with discussions that critiques, objections that I was getting early this offseason when I said, hey, you know, if you really love one of these quarterbacks as the Bears, I'm not sure we've seen enough from Justin Fields these first right. two years to say that you should at least look at someone. And a lot of people would come back to me and say, well, Fields was a better prospect than these guys. And I don't know. Like if someone gets passed over by multiple QB needy teams, ends up going 11, like I get right. it. He, you know, he had that fantastic end to his career. Again, like this impression that we have with these guys at the very end of his career. But it seemed like the NFL was telling us, and the NFL is wrong. The NFL is wrong a lot. Um, but it seemed like the NFL was telling us that maybe he's not like objectively, at least as a prospect, as good as someone like Young. How do you think those those things set up? Like how do you think about – young as a prospect because he ended up going number two whereas you would have thought it was going to be lawrence 
and Fields as one and two, and that didn't right. end up happening after a season. We thought this could happen, and it did happen this time. Yeah, Fields, his trajectory that last year was kind of confusing. I do think um, one thing he did kind of reveal, especially in 2020, was – uh, I was talking about Vince Young and kind of slow processing times. Like he takes his time figuring out what to do. And he was so at, you know athletically gifted that he was able to escape pressure for the most part. I think a couple teams in 2020, I think it was Indiana and Northwestern, both really, really um, made him kind of freeze up and doubt what he was seeing. And he took some sacks and whatnot. Um, and maybe that was an impression that, that um, made some some uh, NFL teams tap the brakes a little bit. I think um, it, it's not that it couldn't be overcome by any means, but it was certainly something you could see at the college level, especially in 2020, um, was that he was a t- slow mover, so to speak, when it came to, to committing to something. And, and when he committed, super accurate arm, big arm, the, the Ohio State system spreads you all the way from sideline to sideline. So even if you kind of know what they want to do, their spacing's so good and the receivers are so good that you can't stop it anyway. And and he absolutely had the arm for that system. And and obviously his running ability, as he's proven uh, in the pros, when he commits to running at least, he's really, really good at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe in the end, what we saw, what what the NFL team saw in 2020 was it was a reason to doubt him a little bit and he fell down the list and unfortunately landed with the bears but um stroud again i'm you know maybe he's just a more reliable prospect uh in in that you know he's processing and quick release and accuracy and all these things it, it just made more sense when you look at stroud uh envisioning him running an nfl offense i don't know yeah yeah i mean when i look at the two guys the one thing that, again, I'm just, a lot of, some quarterback will completely debunk any, any, <laughs> any theory that we have. But one of my things that I had looked at to try to explain why even someone like Allen, to a degree, could be a success where we don't see them as being as overall efficient as a quarterback is looking at just kind of the, their performance under pressure, efficiency under mm. pressure, on a percentile scale or on whatever sort of distribution you want, like where they are on that distribution and their performance from a clean pocket and one relative to the other, like from a percentile type of basis where we are. So in other words, it's not that they're better under pressure. No one's like better under pressure than they are from a clean pocket. But if someone is extremely, extremely good from a clean pocket, then even if they're good under everybody, this was a free version of a paid subscriber podcast at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And if you cannot afford a subscription at this point, let me know. Either shoot me an email at unexpectedpts at gmail.com, send me a note or leave a comment on the Substack, or hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Cole, triple underscore. Let me know that you're experiencing some you know, financial hardship at this point. I will give you a no questions asked six-month subscription to the pod. You can get these premium podcasts and all of my other premium content. Thank you so much for listening and more content coming your way next week.